What is the issue that fuels the present Gaza war as Israel and Hamas lock down in deadly struggle? As we turn with our study leader Dave Wurtson to Daniel chapter 9, God responds to Daniel's confession of his own sins and the sins of his people by sending the angel Gabriel to reveal God's answer to the problem of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. There's been an ongoing conflict going on between Texas and Oklahoma. And that conflict is over now because Oklahoma got beat. So as a hook'em horns guy with kids that graduated from UT can boast, I think UT could beat both USC and Florida, okay? But just imagine when the conflict was going on between Oklahoma and Texas, imagine that the argument wasn't over who's going to be the NCAA champion. Imagine that you're living in McKinney, Texas, and all of us as Texans know about the siren that goes off, and the siren goes off, but it's not an oncoming tornado. A Katusha rocket has just been sensed. All of your kids run to get into underground shelters. In fact, they learn their ABCs in underground shelters because at Norman, Oklahoma, they've just launched a Katusha rocket and it hits randomly because the rockets aren't that accurate in McKinney. How long do you think that you as Texans would allow Oklahomans to launch Katusha rockets into McKinney? If you're an Israeli... That's what you're up against. Gaza is closer than Norman. It's a little area on the western side of Israel. It's right at the, as you move from Israel going down to Egypt, it's the old Philistine territory for you Bible students. And Tel Aviv and Netanya, which is a little bit north of Tel Aviv, are, are cities, major cities that are within Katusha Rocket, their landing area. So what does Israel do? What would you do? Well, I know you well enough. I've been here a long time. You as red-blooded Texans, and I'm a Texan now. You've adopted me, right? So we're going to attack. So we get our tanks. We get our Abrams tanks, and we get all of our guys down from Fort Hood, and we attack Norma. But as we attack, and as our big F-16s, and I've actually been with Mary and Israel where we've stood on Mount Carmel, and we've seen F-16s coming off the, the runway, and they go up to Lebanon when Israel was attacking southern Lebanon, and we'd actually hear the explosion and see the F-16s come back, and another F-16 come. Imagine as you launch into Norman that you discover that that's exactly what your enemies wanted you to do. Because as you launched your missiles from F-16s, you killed some of the terrorists. But you also killed women and children because it's all infiltrated. And your major violence centers, the major rocket launchers, are right in the middle school. So that you have what's called collateral damage, which means that a lot of little kids are killed. And imagine your enemies, that's exactly what they want you to do. Because when you attack, it fuels world opinion. And a movement that is, is beginning to lose steam suddenly has millions of people vaunting for it. Because you're just not a terrorist organization. You're not just a bunch of thugs. You are guerrilla warriors. And you believe with all your heart that Allah has given you the land. And there are Israelis on the other side that believe that Yahweh, Elohim, has given them the land. And how are you ever going to solve that? 
But I got good news for you today. You see, I've read tons of political analysis, Peter Berger's analysis and what we need to do and analysis of what we've done in Iraq. State Department officials, as they analyze the political situation and they analyze the economy and they say it's all because of poverty. But I want to share with you, there's a core issue here. And Daniel knew what the core issue was. From whence come wars and fighting among you? You ever ask that question? You don't just fight because you're poor. How many of you know rich people that fight? So it's not an economic problem. It's a political problem. If we could only just get the United Nations together, we could talk. You know, back in 1948, when Israel became a state, the two-state solution, you might not know the history, but the Palestinians were offered two states. Israel was much smaller back then. It was just a little sliver, almost through the center of the ancient Holy Land. They rejected it. Forty million Arabs attacked. That's what the 48 war was about. 67, 73. We've been having a battle since 1948. It's a continual war of who's going to rule over the Temple Mount. And it goes on and on and on. I often talk to you about communication issues. This isn't a communication issue. Israelis communicate really well. They know Arabic. They know Hebrew. They know English. And so do the Palestinians. You know what? They fundamentally disagree. They believe that Ishmael deserves the land if you're Palestinian. And they believe that the great Western people are leading the whole world into immorality and the destruction of families. And they've got to do everything they can. And they're willing to give their lives for it. Israelis believe, if you're on the extreme side of the Israeli movement, like Jonathan sat right near Ramallah, right in an Israeli compound where Israeli fundamentalists are arguing, this is our land. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. Ever heard that? That stirs all of your heart. What's the issue? From whence come wars and fighting among us? Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Because Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 has been talking to us about a time. You see, Daniel knew all about People attacking his people. In fact, when Daniel received this revelation in Daniel chapter 9, his people didn't possess the Holy Land. They had been expelled from the Holy Land because of their sin. God told them in the Mosaic Law, in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29, God said, if you don't honor me as your God, if you don't love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, God told them, if you commit adultery, God told them, if you lie, God told them, if you covet, God told them that if you don't honor your father and your mother, that I'm going to throw you out of the land. If you disobey me, you will not enjoy the land. They disobeyed him. They became rankly immoral. They became rankly idolatrous, just like us. And Daniel, as a young man, had armies come, Nebuchadnezzar came, and took him captivity. He spent his whole life away from the Holy Land. Never actually went back there. And he knew what the problem was. And, and he doesn't write to us. He didn't pray. They got down on his knees and Daniel's praying. He didn't say, Lord, we got a really bad political problem here. And we need to get Nebuchadnezzar or we need to get Ahasuerus or we need to get Belshazzar. We need to get them together with Jehoiakim and we're going to solve this problem. We're going to deal with this. Just sit around the table. We'll do this. But Daniel also doesn't say, Lord, my people are incredibly bad people, or the Babylonians are incredibly bad people. Daniel did something that I want us to do. Daniel got down on his knees, and he said, Lord, I have sinned. 
Lord, I have transgressed. There is incredible crookedness in my own heart. Because the half-brother of Jesus, not the stepbrother, but the brother of Jesus born from Mary and Joseph, James, that was a committed Jew. And you look at James, and James asks a question, from whence come wars among you? It's an old Israeli, you might say. And he answers a question like this. Don't they come from your own cravings? Don't they come from your covetous desires that war in your soul? You can't get along with your husband. You hate him. You get angry with him. Where does that come from? You covet something. You desire something. And it's not what God desires necessarily. And so you're angry with him. Some of you have people right in this room that you won't shake hands with because they hurt you. You probably even forgot what they did to you. But the reality is, emotionally, you're estranged from them. And you pretend that everything's fine, but it ain't. It's not okay. Because you were offended. You were hurt. Somebody disappointed you. From whence come wars and fighting? Don't they come from your own lust? And Daniel knew that. And we need to join Daniel down on our knees because it begins, when you open up Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, Daniel is praying. And I want you to see this is incredible. God interrupts his prayer. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, and making my request known to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. I want you to see that Daniel is praying for the temple mound. That's the big issue. Palestinians want to control the temple mound, and Israelis want to control the temple mound. And they're ready to blow each other up over it. So this is, this is the issue that Daniel's praying about. Daniel's saying, right, and when Daniel was praying, Israelis didn't control the Temple Mount. The temple had been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar had just totally destroyed it. No sacrifices are taking place. Daniel has to stop in the morning and pray and remember the sacrifice. He had to stop at 3 o'clock in the evening when they, they would begin to offer the sacrifices in his boyhood. But for 70 years now, no sacrifices have been offered. Because the temple doesn't exist. So Daniel's got a bigger problem because he doesn't even have a land as a Jew when he's, when he's praying in this passage. Israelis today have a land. They're fighting for it. So Daniel knows the agony of a Jew. But he didn't go deeper than just political and economic things. Look what he says. He says, I'm speaking and praying. God, uh, God came, and while I was still in prayer, Gabriel the man that I had seen earlier in my vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. I want you to see two things here. Number one, I want you to see that the problem here that Daniel's talking about is sin. If you don't get anything from what I'm saying, I want you to think really hard about from whence come wars and fighting among you. And I answer that question, it's because of Mary. And she answers it, it's because of Dave. And we're not going to get anywhere and the reason we've been married almost 40 years now is because we had the incredible gift of the Spirit that said, don't do that. It's you. You're a transgressor. You are a one that misses God's mark. You're the one that rebels. Don't be on your high horse, Wurtson. And Wurtson. <laughs> and it becomes Van Campen when she's really mad. Doesn't it come from your own lust? Daniel is saying that in this body, we need to join Daniel down on our knees 
And Daniel is as one of the most righteous men. The Old Testament doesn't say one negative thing about Daniel. Only Daniel and Joseph are goody-goody guys, like Sunday school boys or Sabbath boys, I should say. But Daniel's flat in his face saying, Lord, I've sinned. I've transgressed. I've missed the mark. I have rebellion in my own heart, and I'm joined with my people. So we pray together, Midlothian Bible Church. Like when you find yourself saying, Lord, I saw someone in Midlothian Bible Church transgress. They missed the mark. They didn't meet my need. They're not being the brothers that they ought to be. And you start talking about, Lord, what about them? And why don't those guys, why don't those girls? You're not down your need with Daniel. Daniel doesn't pray like that. Daniel prays, it's us. It's us. It's me. So it begins with understanding that the core of the problem is right here in Dave Wharton's heart and right there in your heart. And Daniel's confessing the sins of his people, but I got great news for you. God comes to you, and he sent his angel to respond to Daniel at the time of the evening sacrifice. Did you notice that? And remember I told you earlier that the time of the evening sacrifice, there weren't any sacrifices being offered, which is an important thing. Because how can sins be forgiven? If sacrifices are so important, then how can God take a break for 70 years and you can't have any animal sacrifice? You see, it's wetting our appetite. Daniel is a committed guy of faith, and he's done it as he He's saying, Lord, the problem is the, the missing of the mark of my own heart. It's a transgression of my own heart. It's my own craving for things, and I get angry with things, and I can't control these passions within, and I want to hit somebody, and I want to hurt him, or I just want to leave. And sacrifices the animals, when I would go and see that innocent animal sacrifice, it would cover that sin, but now... 70 years, no animal sacrifices. But I want you to realize we're in a context of sacrifice. As Daniel writes to us in this incredible parchment, we're in the context of confessing prayer, and we're in the context of the sacrificial time. And God loves you so much, just like he loves Daniel. He sends an angel, and I don't have to spend time you know, proving angels to you. You're all, how many of you believe there's angels? You all do. So I'm not going to argue the point. Praise God for that. you got an incredible Heavenly Father. He's not, he's not handicapped. If you're a Marine, we need more Marines. And I love the Marines. Well, some of my dearest friends are Marines. I, I, they've challenged me all of my life. But they're always crying we need a few more good men and women. My Heavenly Daddy does not need more angels. He's not having a weakness in his ranks. He's not overextended. Amen? So when I pray... He can send one of his major officers. Gabriel is an archangel. He's a big guy. Michael and Gabriel. Those are the two guys that know their name. And I can fill you in from apocalyptic literature and some other names that might be right. But Michael and Gabriel are right. They're right at the heart of God's inner circle. Daniel's beloved by God and this mighty man. His name even means the strong man, God's man. And he's an angel. And he comes to Daniel. Look what he says. It says, he said that he came swiftly, flying swiftly. It says, as you began to pray, he instructed me and said, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray. So God wasn't waiting for some hyperventilating, something special that Daniel did. As soon as Daniel started praying, Gabriel was on his way. I came to you to tell you because you're highly esteemed. I want to come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray. 
An answer was given which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. When all of you didn't know, as your pastor teacher, one of Satan's biggest lies is to tell you that you're not highly esteemed. Some of you automatically said, Daniel's highly esteemed, but I'm not. You're an angry person as soon as you said that because you, you made yourself out of the group, and that's what some of you do. And what the Lord wants you to hear this morning is his grace. You have a chip on your shoulder if you don't feel highly esteemed. And you automatically say, well, Daniel's highly esteemed. God answers with Gabriel. But when I pray, nothing happens. You're angry. And the Lord wants you to get over that. Because he doesn't esteem you because you're so cool or because you're so good or because you're so intelligent like Daniel. All the things that you think that your daddy will be pleased with you, your daddy in heaven just esteems you. Did you hear when I said your daddy in heaven just esteems you? Not because they're smart. Not because they're brilliant. I love my granddaughter Blythe just because she's Blythe and she's never been able to say more than Papa to me. And she doesn't earn anything. Do you understand that? When I hold her in my arms, I'm not even sure that everything's all connecting with her. But it is because she's my granddaughter. She was chosen before the foundation of the earth to be my granddaughter. And I love her. She is highly esteemed in our family. Do you get that? What a gift from heaven. What a treasure. And she reminds me, I'm much less than that. Life's not going to get a degree from Georgetown University, but she is esteemed because of grace. She's going to be one of my eternal sisters forever because of grace. Do you understand that? That's what will heal your anger. We're so arrogant. We think we achieved esteem in the, in the, in the, in the place of God. It's foolish. A God that throws stars into space. Oh, yeah, I made the stars. A God that has to kneel down to see when man's building the Tower of Babel. And we think we can earn a right to stand before him. Daniel wasn't esteemed before God because he was so good. He was esteemed before God because he believed in the Mashiach, the anointed one that was going to come. And that's what the text is going to remind us of. It says 77. Now, when the Lord's going to lay out for this precious child, he wants to lay out for you the whole program of his work for his Jewish people, and we're included by an incredible twist of grace. We get in on all the forgiveness and all the reconciliation and all the love. 77, 70 times 7. So you just do the math. 490 years are going to solve all of God's program with the temple of Israel, the holy place, and with God's holy people. He says, they're decreed. So by the living God, just like Ahasuerus and Nebuchadnezzar make their decree, God makes your, your, your decree, and this decree is going to be for your people, Daniel's Jewish people. So God isn't finished with Daniel's people yet. And you're going to have people tell you that, but God isn't because he's faithful. Great is his faithfulness. And he's not finished with the holy city yet. So you need to have your eyes on Jerusalem. God's not finished with Jerusalem yet. 
He said, and it, God will do these things. And he'll do three things that deal with a negative problem. And then he'll do three things that deal with the ultimate putting together of things that you yearn for, things that you young people, you'll give your life for the final positive things that Daniel is going to talk to us about and what this angel revealed to him. First of all, let's deal with the things that's wrong. God realized that the core problem between Israelis and Palestinians and between Mary and I and you and me and all of us in our relationship, the core problem is sin. That's what Martin and I talked about last week. And some of you went out and you had breakfast and said, well, I'm not racist. As soon as you said that, you're racist. Why did you have to say that you weren't racist? You understand what I'm saying? Everybody got it? If you try too hard, you're racist. And you don't need to, you don't need to duck it. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to learn that when I cut, I bleed the same blood. That's what we talked about. Don't pretend anymore. Don't run away. If you can't talk to somebody at the end of this service and give them a hug, don't leave. Pray. Confess your sin. Don't pretend anymore. Don't be so prideful. The core problem is sin. That's why Israelis and Palestinians can't get along. Why I can't get along with people. But God, the great, this incredible good news, look what God's going to do. God says, in my decreed program, in 490 years, and in Daniel, he's talked about 70 years of captivity, so we can quickly surmise that he has to do with years. He says, I'm going to end sin. Amen? How many of you want God to put an end to sin? Amen? Amen. How many of you want God to finish transgression? That's the first thing. Just to finish those who trespass, who walk in areas where they shouldn't. How many of you have people you know that are, that are blown and in sin? They walk in the wrong places. They go the wrong place. I'm trying to give you a feel for what the Hebrew pictures for you. How many of you are like God just to finish that? Amen? Well, how's he going to do that? How do you finish sin? How in the world do you put an end to sin? Now, one of the ways that God could do it and this is the problem in, in, in what Israel's facing. You know, one of the ways to deal with Katusha rockets is you just kill everybody. I know some of you are my old military friends. You just say, just blow up Gaza. That'll solve it. Will it really solve it? You see, from whence come wars and strivings among you. But I got news for you. You say, well, man, it's wrong to send rockets. That's right, it is. And that's one of the things that government officials have to work with. There needs to be justice. But I want you as a believer to know this morning, I'm talking to you as a child of God. F-16s will never solve the problem between Palestinians and Israelis. But you have a truth in your heart, and I want you to know it. It's more important than what Obama tells you. It's more important than what President Bush tells you. It's more important than the Republican Party tells you. It's more important than what the Democratic Party tells you. It's the most important, powerful message of all. You in this room have the only answer to what causes wars and fightings among you. And it is sin. And the only way that it can be atoned for is you either kill all the sinners, and that would be just. And that's what Jesus is going to do one day as the totally righteous judge Anyone that has not submitted to his rule. 
that has not trusted him. And I'm not being mean when I tell you this. There's only one mediator between God and man. One day, Palestinians, Israelis, African-Americans, Chinese, Caucasians, Finnish, Japanese, go through the whole human race. We all stand before the one who gave us life. Did you hear that? And he's coming back. And this passage talks about, Daniel talks about an ultimate time when he comes back in omnipotent power that makes little Einstein's equals MC squared looks like kids playing in the backyard with firecrackers. That's my great Savior. Amen? But he didn't come the first time to bring about social justice. And he didn't come the first time just to deal with political problems. He loves you too much for that. He came for your heart. He came for your heart. He came for your heart. He came to finish sin, not by finishing you. He came to end transgression, not by killing all the transgressors, but an incredible thing. He came, notice, to atone for wickedness. The word atone is the Hebrew word that's used for why God told us to offer a sacrifice. The innocent animal that was slain in an Israeli worship service would cover and would point the way to some incredible promise that God gave at the very beginning of time that somehow the serpent would be able to attack and to strike his son, this anointed one, and somehow in an incredible, wondrous miracle, all of our sins would be poured out upon that anointed one. And he would become, the sacrifices weren't offered for 70 years in Daniel's time. Sacrifices haven't been offered since 70 AD for Jewish people. But Daniel's saying that there's going to be a covering. Daniel's saying to finish sin, to end iniquity, there's going to be an atonement for wickedness. And at with their appetite, what's going to be that atonement? And then we talk about positive things. God's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. You kids want to live in a world where there isn't any racism? Young people are hungry today. You want to live in a world where there isn't anybody hungry? That's what your Savior is going to bring. Don't walk away from your Savior to bring about social justice. Your Savior is the only one that can give you the strength to work today, to begin to bring in everlasting righteousness and also to give you the reality to know that you can trust an ultimate sovereign father who will one day by his omnipotent power bring it it will help you to be realistic and not cynical it will help you not to be idealistic it will help you to be able to really face what's going on and for a lifetime to give yourself to producing righteousness by a gift of the holy spirit and it will protect you from arrogance and thinking you can solve it and it will protect you from investing your life in utopian dreams that will end in Zero. Only Jesus can bring in everlasting righteousness. Did you hear me? Only Jesus. And you need to be his representative in your place, in your family, in your time today. Righteousness means conformity to God's standards. And God is talking about the ultimate. Our destiny is to live in a world where there will be ultimate righteousness forever. He didn't seal up the vision and prophecy. So all of God's revelations to us, his predictions are going to totally come to completion when the 490 years is completed. 
and he's going to anoint the most holy place in Jerusalem, God is going to decide who's going to be controlling the Temple Mount. No one understand this. From the issuing the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed the prince, the ruler comes. There we have an anointed one, and that's the very word for Messiah. He is a prince. He's also, we're in a sacrificial system, so we're all thinking in terms of sacrifice. So we've got to have a royal prince. We've got to have a priest. And he has to be anointed by the Lord. It says that until he comes, there will be seven sevens, seven times seven, 49 years, and there's going to be 62 sevens. It all adds up to 483 years. When you do the math, it will be rebuilt. This decree that goes forth is not just a decree for the people like Ezra got to go back and, and get the people worshiping or that Zerubbabel got just to return. This is a decree that Nehemiah got in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 where Ahasuerus says you can go back and rebuild the walls, the fortification. It will be built with streets, large open areas, and trenches, which are the moats of the fortifications around an ancient city, and it will be done in time of trouble. Read the book of Nehemiah. Only the decree in 445, 444 B.C., in the spring fits that description. And then Daniel says, you can count from there. 462 sevens plus seven. You can count those years. You can take the 483 years, and I don't have time this morning to explain to you how Daniel uses a 360-day year cycle that was often used in the ancient Near East. And it adds up, and it comes out in the spring of 32 A.D., on the day that Jesus walked through the golden gate and presented himself, and a week later, he died. And that's why Anna and Simeon in the temple, as old Israelites that knew Daniel's prophecy, were waiting for the coming of the anointed one. The second coming of Christ is not nailed like that chronologically, but the first coming of Christ was. Now, after the 69 weeks, after the coming of this anointed one, what's going to happen? Look what it says. It says that after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. It's a word for execution. He will be executed. And he will, it'll look like he has nothing. When Jesus was crucified on Calvary, from a Jewish perspective, it looked like he had nothing. It says the people, the ruler who will come, that's the, the Antichrist we're going to talk about the next time we get together. He's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed. War will continue and desolations will continue until the end. And then the next verse speaks about the false Christ that's often confused even by biblical teachers biblical scholars with the true Christ. And next week when we get together, I'm going to talk to you about the false Christ. So what have I said today? What I'm saying today is that you need to be committed with Daniel on your knees. One, from whence comes your anger, your lack of reconciliation with people? The Lord's calling you to get down on your knees. 
and to confess your sin. To consider the cross and let the blood of Jesus, let the acceptance, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus heal us of all what causes wars and fightings among us. Lord, we have a free country. We can go out and present the gospel to anyone we want to. And yet some of us haven't done it. I just pray that you would awaken a spirit that does reach out, that does share the gospel. And I pray that you would use our church more powerfully than you've ever used it. Because I want every one of my brothers and sisters to get in on this incredible joy. What an incredible, wondrous thing that we can share Jesus and a former terrorist becomes someone that's willing to give his life for his former enemies. Lord, help us to really understand that that's much more powerful, much more life-transforming than an F-16 or a Katusha rocket. I thank you, Lord, for those that are defending us, but I want to ask you, Lord, that we would realize that our freedom of speech that they're fighting for means that we need to open up our mouths for Jesus. And we need to tell people what we learned today from Daniel 9 about these 70 weeks. And we need to get across to them that you have covered, you've atoned for sin. Only your spirit can renew the wondrous joy of reconciliation that comes because you allowed your precious Mashiach to be cut off so that we would never need to be cut off from you or from one another. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.